Welcome to the New Books Network. Are science and spirituality incompatible? If one is a strict materialist who believes that the universe is made of matter and energy and absolutely nothing else, does that worldview preclude spirituality? Today's guest, the prolific physicist, novelist, poet, and thinker Alan Lightman, makes a case for what he calls spiritual materialism, the belief that we can embrace the spiritual experiences without letting go of our scientific worldview. His experiences are personal, his understanding universal. Welcome to the Van Leer Jerusalem series on ideas. I'm Renee Garfinkel, your host, and I'm honored to welcome today's guest, Alan Lightman, professor at MIT, author of Einstein's Dreams, as well as many other novels, essays, and scientific papers. Alan Lightman, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Renee. I'm happy to be with you. Alan, you're a rare scientist who's also had an acclaimed career in literature. Are those two things integrated for you, or do you feel they exist in separate creative compartments of your mind? Well, uh, they're integrated in one sense and not in another. There are, they are integrated in that uh, many of my writings touch upon science. Uh, and, and another way is that, that the creative moment, uh, that moment when we uh, lose sense of ourself, lose sense of our ego, lose sense of time and where we are and are just in that magical space of creation, uh, that that feels very similarly in both science and in literature. Uh, There are many ways in which the two activities are different, of course. Uh, in, In science, we're ultimately dealing with the physical world that's external to the human mind and in the arts and including literature, we are ultimately dealing with uh, expression of our own thoughts and and, and our own mind and personal experiences. Let's talk about the transcendent brain. The thesis of your book seems to be, and correct me if I haven't got it quite right, that consciousness emerges from the material brain but consciousness is not material itself. As you put it, uh, spirituality flows naturally from the material brain through paths of consciousness. That's a sentence with a lot to unpack, so let's start with definitions. What is consciousness? Well, of course, consciousness is is really hard to define, but um, I consider consciousness to be a certain sensation that we have uh, that the sensation is a result of of various electrical and chemical flows between neurons. But the, the, the sense the feeling that we have is of being uh, present in the world of being a separate being uh, of, of receiving sensory input from the world of, of having an, an autobiographical memory, uh, of being able to plan for the future. Those are all aspects of the highest level of consciousness, which 
probably as, as Homo sapiens. I, I do think that consciousness is a graded phenomenon. I think that consciousness, that some form of consciousness exists in uh, non-human animals. We know that the dolphins can recognize themselves in the mirror, and we know that various animals uh, like crows and, and cats and play with each other. Uh, those are manifestations of some level of consciousness. Uh, but uh, ultimately, ultimately, I think that, that consciousness, uh, and I think I agree with all neuroscientists here, that it's rooted in the material brain, um, even though uh, neuroscientists have not yet been able to fill in all the blanks to get from those neurons to the sensation that we have of, of consciousness. So expand on the idea that it it emerges from the material brain, but consciousness isn't material. Well, I, 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 when you say consciousness isn't material, I don't know what you mean. C can you say can you say that beauty is is not material or material? Uh, consciousness is a name that we give to this sensation in our brains. And uh, I don't know whether you call that material or not material. Uh, there are various faith leaders uh, who, who believe that consciousness is not physical at all. Uh, and I disagree with that view. I think that consciousness emerges from, from the interactions of, of neurons uh, in the brain. Uh, but uh, we have this, 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 mental sensation of being present in the world of self-awareness and all of the other things that I mentioned, uh, we have this sensation that we give a name to, and the name that we give it is consciousness. Uh -huh. Just like we, so we, we, we give a name to, to, to beauty, you know, when we have a certain reaction to a painting or a symphony or a, a, a beautiful person, we, we have a certain reaction in the brain and we call that beauty just like we have a name for the color red and the color blue so when you say um animals puppies or cats uh play how is that a manifestation of consciousness well it it uh that's a very good question um i think it's it's a manifestation of a, of a certain level of consciousness and uh I think that play requires a certain engagement with the world. Uh, it, I think it probably also requires some limited sense of self when you, when you play. Um, it, it involves a, a, a context of, of understanding uh, this larger world around you. Um, and I would contrast that with, say, the behavior of of an amoeba, a, a single-celled organism, you put a little bit of, of food near it, and I think that its responses to that food are, are totally automatic, that there, there are certain uh, chemicals that the food emits that, that are received by certain receptors in the cell, in the, the single cell of the amoeba, and it triggers uh, the muscular, whatever, uh, uh, of course, amoebas don't have muscles, but they have uh, 
they have motor proteins that allow them to 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 move and they move towards the food but i i think that that is all of those uh responses are totally automatic uh as opposed to uh, what happens when uh kittens play with each other now we know that there can be life without consciousness when a person for example is in a coma mm-hmm. um but according to some writers, there can be consciousness without life. Tell us about those ideas. Well, uh, I respect that view. I don't. I do not subscribe to it. Um, I had a conversation recently with the uh, Dalai Lama. Uh, it was for a, a public television series for which I was the host, and. The first statement that His Holiness made was that consciousness is not physical. And then I asked him whether it required life. Uh, And I mentioned that according to astronomers and physicists, there will be a time in the future where all of the stars have burned out and there will no longer be any energy sources uh, to power life anywhere in the universe, not just life like us. And I asked him whether consciousness would still exist when there's no life. And he said, yes, it would. He said that consciousness has no beginning and no end, that everything physical has a beginning and an end, and consciousness has no beginning and no end. And I believe that there are a number of faith leaders, uh, uh, especially in Buddhism, who who have that view. Um, I I don't share that view, um, although I respect all religious traditions and their beliefs. Um, and some scientists like Dr. Koch in Seattle um, seem to hold similar ideas that consciousness is widespread and uh, someday even non-biological machines will be conscious. Oh, yes. Uh, well, uh, oh, Okay, well, I, I see what you mean. Yes, I think that we can build non-biological machines that, that have all the attributes of consciousness. I'm sorry I didn't quite understand the question. I, I misunderstood it. Um, no, His Holiness, no. The, His Holiness the Dalai Lama would say that there's no machine that we can build that would have consciousness. Um, but yes, I totally agree with Dr. Koch that, that uh, although we don't understand exactly what consciousness is and we'll never be able to get into the the mind of a computer, we'll never know what a, what a computer feels. I think if you make any finite list of all the attributes and manifestations of consciousness, uh, such as being able to recognize yourself, being able to plan for the future and so on, I think that we will ultimately build uh, a computer that that checks all the, all the boxes of those attributes. Uh, whether or not that machine is actually conscious is another question, but it certainly will uh, check all the boxes of the manifestations of consciousness. It's, it's like a black box, um, and even the human brain is a little bit like a black box, but certainly not like a computer that that. The, the black box does certain things, and we can see what it does, but, but we can't get inside of the black box to, to completely understand the mechanism. Uh, is J- chat GPT a step along the way to that? 
I think it is, but it's a small step. Um, Chat GPT is basically a, a vast lookup table. It's, it's not doing any thinking uh, when you give it, uh, ask, give it a task like, like write a Shakespearean sonnet. It, it, it has all, in its database all this, the sonnets that Shakespeare has ever used, and it knows what the pattern of words is. It knows what rhyming is <clears throat> uh, because it has lots of examples of, of rhymes, of, of, of words that are labeled as rhymes in its database. And it, it, it goes through this ma- massive database and looks for words that, that, that are tagged with, with rhyming labels and looks for words that may have to do with love and so on and uh, completes a, a sonnet. But it's not doing what we would call thinking. Um, it's, it's just going through a, a, a vast database and finding things that match the task. So uh, when people talk about the hive mind, uh, on the internet is where it's discussed, but even if we look at bees who really have a hive mind, do you think that's a mind? Is Is that a level of consciousness? When you say the highest mind, is that hive. HIVE? Like oh, the hive like mind. Bees oh, yeah. In the hive. Okay. Yeah. The hive mind. Well, that's a wonderful question. And I don't really know the answer to that. I mean, you could say that the brain is a hive, that each neuron is, is an individual in the hive, and they're all communicating with each other. So, um, you know, you can look at a colony of ants, uh, and they, together produce something that's pretty amazing or, or termites that produce these, these amazing termite cathedrals, these structures that, uh, that are able to regulate airflow and temperature and humidity and any individual termite, not only does it, does it not have this organizational organizational plan in mind, but it's blind. Um, so, um, it's a great question. Uh, we do know something about how termites communicate with each other and how they manage to produce something that's much bigger than the individual termite. <clears throat> and uh, there's a sense in which, as I, I said earlier, that you could view the, the human brain or any brain as a hive where the individual components, uh, the neurons, don't don't constitute thinking, don't constitute memory, but when you connect them all together, uh, you, you produce these, these extraordinary phenomena, uh, that is thinking, consciousness, art, science, and everything else that our brain is capable of. Including spirituality. So let's turn to your second, uh, challenging concept. Um, you suggest that spirituality flows naturally from the brain through the path of consciousness. Uh, what's your working definition of spirituality? Is it a feeling, a set of feelings, or something more? Well, I have a non-theist definition of spirituality uh, that, that is my personal definition, and it includes uh, various experiences, such as 
feeling part of something larger than yourself, feeling a connection to nature, feeling a connection to other people, uh, the experience of awe, A-W-E, the, the appreciation of beauty. Uh, those are experiences that although they're not quite identical, I group them all under the heading of spirituality. And I think that every one of those experiences has an evolutionary history that, that it, it was either uh, had direct survival benefit or it had it's, it, it, it was the, the, the byproduct of another trait that had direct survival benefit. So I, I think that all of, our, of those feelings that I mentioned uh, uh, were hardwired into our brain uh, or the capacity for those feelings was hardwired into our brain over uh, hundreds of thousands of years uh, by the process of, of natural selection. I do uh, acknowledge that, that many people have uh, associate spirit, spirituality with, with uh, an all-powerful, purposeful being that created the universe uh, that we usually call God. And I respect those beliefs. Uh, my definition and version of spirituality uh, is a non-theist one, and I think that all of those elements um, evolved over the course of evolution of Homo sapiens. Uh, some writers in, who write about spirituality um, insist or require that for something to be spiritual, it not only has to have what you just described, a sense of being connected to something larger than oneself, but it also has to, or does, give rise to uh, moral, ethical imperatives or purposefulness or meaningfulness, um, regardless of whether it's theistic or not, uh, although those things do characterize most religions. Do you feel that's an essential part of the spiritual experience, too? Well, <clears throat> I think that it's not an essential part of every experience, uh, every spiritual experience. For example, one spiritual experience that I had, uh, and I'm, I'm sure everybody has had experiences like this. I was, was out on a boat uh, at night, very late at night. It was a clear night, and I lay down in the boat and looked up at, at the sky, and the stars were glittering. And after a few moments, I felt like I was falling into infinity. I felt like I was part of the stars. I felt like I was part of the entire cosmos. I, I lost all sense of myself, of where I was. I lost all sense of time. And, and that particular experience, um, I don't think it required me to think about ethical or moral behavior. Uh, on the other hand, uh, part of my understanding of spirituality is our feeling connected to other people. And I think their ethical and moral behavior does come in because one of the, the most important, uh, to me, uh, principles of, of ethical behavior is the golden rule. Um, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. 
and uh, that involves a a relationship with other people that rule. So uh, our feeling of, of, of connection to other people, which is part of my version of spirituality, um, certainly has as a consequence the the golden rule, which represents ethical and moral behavior. One would hope that that would lead to uh, to ethical and moral behavior. Yes, I I agree on that. Yes. Uh, uh, as some writers and thinkers, especially twentieth century, uh, like Freud and Ernest Becker and others, uh, believed that not only spirituality but civilization itself, including science. Uh, is a response to recognizing and fearing death, that the recognition of one's own mortality uh, leads to a desire to be part of something larger and eternal or at least lasting longer than the average lifespan. Does that resonate with your own experience? That resonates totally, Renee. Um, I totally support that idea. And uh, I, I do think that uh, not only Becker's idea uh, that most of our civilization, if not all of it, all of our art and science and our institutions are uh, a defense against death. But I also think that, that, that there's that our longing for eternity, for uh something, some, su some substance or some realm that's eternal, which is a, the basis for many religious traditions. I think that that yearning also stems from a desire to, to have something beyond our, our physical death. Um, uh, a lot of, uh, well, many religious traditions have, have the a concept of a soul of some part of us that, that lasts much longer than our physical death. Uh, there can be either a personal soul, which, which has something of your own personal identity, or it can be a universal soul that's not connected to you as a person. Uh, many, many religious traditions, both, both ancient and modern, have uh, a concept of a soul, either the, the single soul or the dual soul. And I do think that those are those ideas are uh, motivated psychologically by our knowledge of our own impending physical death. Is that true, you think, for uh, what you've described as uh, creative transcendent experiences? And, and tell us about those. Well, the creative transcendent experience, uh, I use that expression to mean when you're when you're doing a creative activity and you don't have to be a professional artist to be doing a pre, uh, creative activity you can be uh, involved in the birth of a baby which of course is highly creative uh, during that those moments uh, you uh, I'll call them transcendent because you often lose sense of yourself uh, with a capital S. You lose sense of your ego and yourself. And uh, I've experienced that both as a, as a writer and as a scientist. 
that when I am uh, so-called in the zone, when I'm really in that creative world, I have no sense of myself at all. And uh, it's a magnificent feeling. I think all of us have had it, but that, that loss of self is, is, is such uh, an amazing and wonderful feeling. And it's, it's interesting to me that um, in, in the Western world, we place a high priority and value on the individual. Individualism is, is a very, very part of the psychology and, and ethic of the Western world. And yet the most <clears throat> magnificent and majestic moments that, that, we can, that we have or when we lose sense of self, we lose our individualism and feel that we're part of something much larger. You have a beautiful paragraph uh, describing that experience while playing. <clears throat> excuse me, while playing the piano, uh, and which is not. Uh, you may be very good at it, but it's not one of the many, many, many things you're best known for. Uh, so. Um, yes, you're right. The being freed of the limits, boundaries of the self is something, uh, people look for both creatively, uh, religiously, and also through, uh, drug experiences. It's, uh, it's, it's something that humans really like. Um, and finally, what's the difference between, the creative transcendent experience you just described and the flow state that uh, many psychologists have studied uh, that take place during creative activities, but might also be experienced driving down an open road or playing tennis. If you are a, a good tennis player, not necessarily a professional one, is there a difference between the one you describe, the one and the other, the flow state or the being in the zone and the transcendent state? <clears throat> well, I think the flow state is a transcendent state, but I think you were asking me to compare the flow state to a particular transcendent state, which is the creative transcendent. Is that right? Yes. Yes. So um, I think that there are many similarities uh, the creative transcendent state that I talk about is a flow state, but it's a particular kind of flow state in which we are creating something new. And when you're, when you're driving down the road, uh, the highway and uh, through beautiful scenery, uh, you can definitely get into a flow state where you, you lose sense of self, but you're not creating anything new necessarily. Uh, so, uh, I would say that, that my creative transcendent is a subset of flow states and a subset of transcendent states. Okay. That really clarifies uh, these things that we're talking about are often hard to pin down. And, uh, I appreciate that you are doing it. Uh, the book is the transcendent brain. Spirituality in the Age of Science. Alan, it's been wonderful talking with you. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk with me today. Wonderful talking to you, Renee, and thank you for the, the excellent 
questions and comments that you made. And thanks to our researcher, Bela Pasikov.